Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. We hear so many stories today about the economic competition between China and the U.S. Competition in technology, in 5G, in AI, and every other trendy technology. However, the same competition exists in many other areas of science and industry, including the often staid world of agriculture. In fact, it is a world of genetically engineered, modified agriculture that may be more important than the trendy tech in shaping the future of the peoples of both China and the U.S. It's no wonder, then, that industrial espionage is rampant and its national security implications go way beyond missiles and planes and communication. We're going to talk about that today with a story that begins in the cornfields of Iowa and in many ways symbolizes what may lie ahead. That's the story that Myra Histendahl tells in her latest book, The Scientist and the Spy. Myra Histendahl lived in China for eight years and covered China's renaissance in science and technology. As a correspondent in Shanghai for science, she's also written for The Atlantic, Popular Science, and Wired. She's the author of the previous book, Unnatural Selection, Choosing Boys Over Girls and the Consequences of a World Full of Men, which was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize. She's a former national fellow at the New America, and her latest is The Scientist and the Spy, a true story of China, the FBI, and industrial espionage. Myra Histendahl, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on the show. First of all, the beginning of this story is, is pretty innocent. It begins with almost a trespassing story in a cornfield in Iowa. Tell us about that. That's right. That's right. So in 2011, a man named Robert Moore was found in, near a cornfield in Iowa. It was a Monsanto field. Uh, the company protected the corn that was growing there as trade secrets. And so his appearance sparked a two-year FBI investigation involving car chases, surveillance planes, and airport busts. Talk a little bit about the intellectual property that was involved here. What was it that Monsanto was doing in these cornfields? Um, so a local farmer under contract with Monsanto was growing the next generation of genetically modified seeds. So he was growing inbred seeds that would be used to create hybrids that could later be sold to farmers. Um, the company says it spent a large amount of resources developing those seeds. Um, But really this case is one of dozens that have been brought over the past 10 years involving relatively mundane technologies and China. And why was this so important to China? Put that in context. Why was, was understanding what Monsanto was doing and this next generation of seeds, why was that so important to Chinese companies and ultimately the Chinese government? China has a large population, relatively little arable land, and as people have been um, making more money, they're eating higher and higher up the food chain, eating more like Americans, more meat, and that requires grain in the form of animal feed. And so there's been this demand for better corn seeds, And this company that Robert Moore worked for, uh, DBN, the Beijing company, thought that instead of spending the money to do the research themselves, they could sidestep these years of research by literally stealing the corn out of the fields in the Midwest. To what extent is the government involved in this, 
and to what extent is it Chinese companies, and does it even make a difference? It does make a difference legally in terms of the charges that, that people are given. So it's not so much that the Chinese government is actually sending spies to the United States in most cases. Um, instead, it's that there's a high priority placed on breakthroughs at any cost in certain sectors, agriculture is one of them in China, and so companies like DBN know that the, the government's going to look the other way, there are not going to be huge penalties, and in some cases they will be rewarded if they do manage to get these technologies. To what extent does the U.S. government and the FBI, as we see unfold in this case, to what extent... Are, are the government agencies like the FBI looking for these cases, or do they just stumble on them in most instances? Well, the FBI is actively looking for these cases. It works very closely with corporations like Monsanto and DuPont Pioneer, the other company in, in the case, in order to bring them. And... Um, since this has become a priority, the FBI has, made, um, has put this emphasis on going out to meet with corporate security at companies regularly, you know, asking them, did you see anything strange? And then the cases start from there. And yet it does seem in the course of, of the story that you tell, it does seem as if the FBI doesn't do its best work. It's not really on top of this case. Any time an area becomes a focus for the national security establishment in America, I think we need to question exactly how we are combating the threat. Um, so as we saw with 9-11, you can have a legitimate threat result in an overreaction or in a wrong reaction, um, you know, to where the U.S. government was going into mosques and targeting people who should not have been targeted. Um, there is a very real risk of the same thing happening with these sorts of cases. So um, a man like Robert Moore had, had committed a crime. Uh, he did steal corn from these fields. He does appear that he did have this intent um, to reverse engineer it. But it does raise the question of whether his punishment was commensurate with the crime. So you have people going to prison for upwards of 10 years in some cases. And there have been other cases where scientists were arrested but turned out to be innocent. What did Robert Moe know about the risk he was taking? He, Robert Moore was a researcher from Florida, or from China, but lived in Florida, has a wife and two kids there, and he moved to America to get his second Ph.D. After he graduated, he looked for an academic position and had this kind of classic um, academic story where he could not find a tenure-track position. So he ended up taking a job with um, DBN, this Beijing agricultural company. And as time went on, he grew increasingly uncomfortable with what he was being asked to do. But he did not extricate himself, and so that landed him in the um, crosshairs of the FBI. Talk a little bit about the FBI investigation into this, how it, how it evolved, essentially. 
Well, it started with this incident of a man being found in a field. There was a similar incident where Robert and another colleague had been found in in the um, DuPont Pioneer field. So you had these two incidents, um, and Special Agent Mark Benton of the Des Moines field office found out about these two incidents and then started from there. He oversaw a few dozen agents. In multiple states, you had Illinois, Iowa, Missouri, Florida, Vermont, um, airport bust in California at one point. And, um, you know, he brought this investigation from the ground up, um, really did his best um, to try to go after the culprits. But, you know, it was brought against this backdrop of, of, botched investigations and of a history of profiling Chinese American scientists within the FBI. And, um, and, you know, so I really felt the more I researched this case that I could not look at it in isolation. And to what extent is the profiling of Chinese in the U.S. in general so much a part of, of what we're seeing here? It's such a complicated issue because the Chinese government does have an influence campaign in America. Um, they, they are um, devoting a lot of resources to taking technology. But at the same time, I uncovered this previously unknown FBI um, program to monitor Chinese-American scientists that dated back to the 60s, continued to the late 1970s, um, possible, possibly to the 80s. Uh, and it involved monitoring people who were, in many cases, U.S. citizens who had lived here for 10, 20 years, you know, were very happily settled. And they were suspected, it seems, primarily because of their ethnicity. And that history um, has continued to shape investigations up to the present. And for, for many uh, many ethnic Chinese scientists, it's very hard to forget that history now that they are again um, under scrutiny. And for those many Chinese scientists, how many of them have a sense of being profiled, being followed, being investigated? To what extent is that really a part of their everyday existence here? Many people are scared now, and it's complicated because they, you know, these are people who often move to America because of the values of openness and free speech that we espouse here. Um, they're attracted to the, you know, the United States is one of the most innovative societies, and people come here from all over the world for that reason. Uh, when we look at how to address this issue, we have to safeguard that open and innovative core um, that is so important to the American uh, research infrastructure. Yet it's also safe to say that there are lots of other Robert Moes out there, and probably more now than even when this incident took place. Right. Well, just last week, FBI Director Christopher Wray um, said that there are over a thousand active investigations involving uh, intellectual property theft or trade secrets theft in China. So that's a massive number. Um, definitely a lot of resources going toward these cases. 
when you look at the case of, of DBN specifically and Robert Mole, um, he did pay a price for what he did. Um, you don't want I don't want to ruin the ending for right. people. Um, but you know, he, he, he did end up, um, paying a price. And then at the same time, the company DBN suffered rel- relatively few consequences. So, um, by the end of the book, they were like literally throwing a party because um, the company DBN suffered very few consequences. Uh, their stock prices took a dip, but then they recovered. Uh, they may even have that technology that they stole in circulation now. So they, um, you mean, need to look in the long run: Are these investigations successful at combating the threat? There's also the very real risk that any time there's an issue of overreach in America or of a scientist being arrested who's innocent, it feeds the narrative back in China. And so the Chinese government is able to say, look, they are, profi- they are profiling people in America. Why don't you come back to China and work for us? What is the role of, of corporate America in this? What role do companies like Monsanto and, and, and the other companies that are uh, involved, what role do they play? What's the nexus between these companies and law enforcement in the U.S., the FBI, et cetera? So I crisscrossed the Midwest uh, where I live now, uh, talking to farmers and seed dealers and other people who'd figured in this case, spent a long time talking to Robert Moore as well. Uh, one of the things that, that farmers raised was that in this industry um, of agriculture, and specifically the seed industry, there has been massive corporate consolidation over the past few years. And that in, in the end, uh, the average person is much more affected by that consolidation than they are by industrial espionage. Um, and if you look at a company like Monsanto, by the end of my reporting, they had actually been acquired by Bayer. So that's a German conglomerate. They were no longer even American. How much more complicated does the globalization of these companies, how much more complicated does that make this whole struggle? Well, what we see with this acquisition of Monsanto is that the U.S. government spent these untold resources defending the company's intellectual property. But in the end, uh, it sh- the company showed no loyalty to the United States. So Chinese companies, at the end of the day, they are beholden to the Chinese government. But multinationals in the West do not have the same loyalty to our government. It's so interesting that all of these resources get put towards this, and then Monsanto, as you say, gets bought by Bayer, and suddenly it's a German company that the FBI has put all of its resources into helping. That's right. Um, One of the ways that I told this story was by looking at a an Illinois farmer named Kevin Montgomery. He um, was actually hired as a consultant for DBN. He um, did was not aware of the company's the more nefarious dealings. And then several months into his work, he had a lot of interaction with Robert Moore, and he was asked um, uh to kind of start growing seeds on this farm that the company had bought in Illinois. And then the FBI shows up at his doorstep one day 
and asks him a lot of questions about everything he's been doing, and they turn him into an informant. And so he was kind of caught in the middle of these two sides, and he, he was able to give me um, a lot of context and interesting background on what it's like to be a farmer now caught between um, this uh, international rivalry. Of course, the other side of this is the consolidation that's taking place in farming and agribusiness getting so much larger. That's right. That's right. And that's something that had affected Kevin personally. I mean, he lost his job in one of these corporate mergers. And so he started um, looking to China for business. Um, and many farmers today have, are dependent on selling their crops to China. Um, so it's just a very complicated issue. Um, you know, the trade war and the tariffs that have been placed on on agricultural goods from the United States have had an um, have had just an uh, immense impact on uh, the livelihood of many farmers in the Midwest. Is it your sense that the issues that surround this theft of intellectual property in in the agricultural world is really not that dissimilar from what's going on in other areas of technology and and other areas with respect to concern about the Chinese stealing American intellectual property? Yeah, I I would say that many sectors are are similar. Um, Over the course of my reporting, Mark Zuckerberg did this about face, where he had previously been trying really hard to get Facebook um, into the Chinese market. And, uh, and now he's been arguing that, you know, if, if we regulate the U.S. tech companies, that China will win and the Chinese tech companies will, um, will overcome us. I mean, that's a disingenuous argument because we do have um, corporate consolidation is, is a big issue here that needs to be addressed through regulation and through, um, through policies in Washington. And is this going on in reverse? I mean, in areas, for example, where the Chinese are far ahead, AI, to use one example, is it your sense that U.S. companies or other global companies are engaged in industrial espionage inside China? Well, the U.S. government's stance is that we don't do it. <laughs> I think to some extent, to some extent, it's hard to know, but we, we don't need to do it as much because we are in this position of dominance right now. And, um, you know, if you look back historically, there, there was a moment where the United States stole a lot of trade secrets from the United Kingdom. Um, the U.K. stole the technique for processing tea leaves from China. Um, in a way, it's the same old story, but the stakes are higher now because it's become so much easier to steal trade secrets. Because of the Internet. Because of the Internet and because of, as you said before and, and alluded to, the, the lack of loyalty in a way in the, on the part of these global multinational companies. That's right. That's right. I mean, Robert Moore and his colleagues chose in some ways the most complicated way that they could to steal, to steal trade secrets by um, posing as farmers, spending weeks driving across the Midwest. Um, at one point, they tried to send seeds back to China in microwave popcorn bags. Um, so they actually removed the buttery seeds from these oval Redenbacher bags and uh, replaced them with with the <laughs> trade secret seed. 
But of course, if, if that hadn't happened, we'd probably wind up selling it to them in some way. I mean, that's the irony yes. of all of this. Yeah, we we are now caught up in this conflict between openness and security. Um, China is a is a presenting a big challenge to these values, um, but how we react is critical, and we have to make sure that we do not overreact and that we do not end up you know, driving much of our research force back to China, for example. Mara Histendahl. Her book is The Scientist and the Spy, a true story of China, the FBI, and industrial espionage. Mara, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you again. I really appreciate it. Thank you.